Hi, welcome to episode 38 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. For this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will discuss the shocking weakness exhibited by the Japanese yen over the past few days, as manifest by the move in dollar yen above 125. We will also discuss the influences that have led to the pop above 111 in euro dollar. The title of this episode is Contrasting Forces in Euro and Yen Again. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Okay, Greg, thanks for the intro. Uh, the date is March 29th uh, for, for today's podcast. Uh, and we have some movement again in, in the foreign exchange markets. But like last week, we have to focus on the yen again. Uh, so for some background, uh, since March 22nd, the last time we did a podcast, the yen has fallen a further 1.4% against the dollar. Uh, since that date, we've also seen a very powerful rise in global yields. Um, but we also saw the BOJ reinforce the top of its target range for the 10-year JGB yield. So if anything, that has kind of helped widen the rate differential uh, between the dollar and the yen. Um, we've also had some movement in the euro too, but it has moved in the opposite direction to the yen uh, since the close uh, on March 22nd. Uh, so we saw euro dollar consolidate around the 110 level for about four days after our last podcast. But today we had a spike to levels above 111 on a positive tone, or at least the market's interpretation of a positive tone coming out of uh, the resumption of Russia-Ukraine negotiations. So the pair euro-dollar is up by 0.7% since our last podcast. Right. So we made the euro-yen cross the focus of our last podcast, which we titled, The Euro-Yen Rally Makes No Sense. At that point, we were looking at euro-yen at about 133, the figure. After discussing the issues in the pair at that point, we concluded that while the pair probably, quote-unquote, belongs in the 120s. It was still too early to sell it because it was seemingly mid-spike. So here we are today at 136 and change uh, with a spike high yesterday of uh, 137.50. I still think this is a wrong price. But to be fair to the FX market, we should probably do a bit more to deconstruct this week's move. Okay, Greg, look... Uh I want you to take us through the mechanics of the move in dollar yen from the 120 level, which was basically on the day of our last podcast, uh, to the high for the cycle so far, which was a little bit above 125 on Monday. That's yesterday. Uh, you know, in the back of my mind, and I asked you about this last week, I still have this question of why the BOJ decided to give the green light 
to this move in the yen with the clear risk of the depreciation occurring rapidly, given that so many other central banks are in tightening mode. Uh, so take us through the mechanics of the move on the one hand and what you think Japanese officials are thinking right now. In the lead up to our last podcast, we'd already seen basically a five big figure move from 115 to 120 that I would attribute to the hawkish Fed on March 16th, followed by the dovish BOJ on March 17th. I'll admit that at that point, I sort of thought that we'd get a consolidation in dollar yen somewhere, you know, 120 to 121, because five big figures was already a sizable move for a pair that says low volatility is dollar yen. But what ended up happening late last week, and then during the thin Asian trading session on Monday, is that global bond yields made a major move higher. I would call the U.S. curve the epicenter of the global rate move. At yesterday's peak, both two-year and 10-year Treasury yields had added about 25 basis points from where they were at our last podcast. And just uh, focusing in on 10-year yields, normally a noteworthy move in U.S. dollar-denominated 10-year yield it tends to propagate out so that we see something like 80% of the move show up in um, highly floating uh, rate curves like uh, in Aussie and CAD, and then maybe 50% show up in Euro, and then something like 20% show up in in uh, yen 10-year yields. And that That's a, exactly what happened. So US 10-year yields up 25 basis points, and Aussie 10-year yields also up 25 basis points. CAD 10-year yields up, up about 20, Euro about 10. And so with all that, you know, I would have expected something like five basis points or so higher in 10-year JGB yields. But there was a problem with that. We started this global yield spike with a JGB yield uh, on the 10-year at 0.22%. So adding five basis points would take us through the BOJ's cap, which is 0.25%. We hit the BOJ's cap uh, on Monday morning, Asia time, and the BOJ did what it, it mechanically had programmed itself to do. It held two auctions yesterday and then and then two more auctions today. Those auctions are there to uh, take up or buy an unlimited amount of 10-year JGBs at, at the yield of 0.25%. So far, I mean, there has been take up at, at three out of the four auctions, um, total a little over uh, 4 billion USD equivalent uh, worth of JGBs purchased. So to put it another way, the BOJ has just done about 4 billion in QE at a time when the Fed and most other central banks have stopped QE and shifted market expectations towards QT. This simply has got to be bad for a currency. So in thin trading, market players pushed the narrative and, and got dollar-yen to spike above 125. Okay, Greg. Uh, so as you said, we got the spike above 125. So let me repeat the second part of my question. What do you think Japanese officials are thinking now? Yeah, that, that's a great question. There may possibly be some disagreement. BOJ Governor Kuroda said 12 days ago that a weakening yen was a net-net good thing for the Japanese economy. But today we got comments from Finance Minister Suzuki that I would characterize as verbal intervention. He basically said that it was not yet known 
whether the big decline in the end was a good thing for the economy. Put another way, he was asking the FX market to please pause the move. Now, from, from here forward, I'd say the FX market will be highly attentive to anything that Kuroda might say over the next few days. Admittedly, he doesn't have a program speech until April 11th, but um, I'm sure that that date is, is bookmarked. I could be wrong, but my guess is that Kuroda also is hoping that Dalian doesn't really push through 125, at least not until the market and the economy has had enough time to digest the move that, that we've already had. I could be wrong on this too, but but I think he probably would be willing to support a widening of the BOJ's target band for the 10-year yield so that instead of being, uh, as it is now, 0.00% plus or minus 25 basis points, you maybe to get widened out to something like plus or minus 40 basis points. Uh, and I'll point out there there is precedent for such a widening. The tolerance band at one point was uh, at plus or minus 10 um, and, and got widened to plus or minus 25 I, I could even go further and argue that, that uh, the whole yield curve control mechanism um, that got put into place when Dalian was 103 and falling, you know, at this stage it's un, un, unnecessary. But uh, I don't know that Kuroda will quite get to there. Uh, I do think, though, that he he would probably be okay with band widening if it turns out that the mechanics of defending this 25 basis point cap pulls Dalian up through 125 uh, and, and further, and, and it seems to be semi-permanent. At any rate, um, with that fun moment on the hot seat, let me turn the table, Stephen. We got a sneak preview of what a ceasefire might do to European currencies earlier today. Please walk us through that. We did indeed, Greg, get a little sneak preview of what a ceasefire might do to European currencies earlier today. Um, so, to mention the theme of the podcast, we have the yen moving lower and the euro appreciating. Uh, I'm going to go back to the macro monthly piece uh, we published on March 17th. And in that piece, we covered three possible scenarios for the war in Ukraine. Uh, one was a frozen war. Two was a ceasefire agreement with a path to sanctions being lifted. And the third was a ceasefire agreement, but with many sanctions being made permanent. Uh, when we published that piece on March 17th, Euro dollar was around the 111 level, which is basically where it is now. And we said that at that level, the FX market, Euro dollar in particular, was partially priced for some type of resolution. Uh, but we were pretty cautious on the euro in general and, and on the risks of, uh, of an escalation. And I think we got bouts, bouts of escalation in between March 17th and just prior to today. You covered Euro dollar. But let me interject with a question of the Swedish krona, the Polish zloty, Hungarian forint. How did they respond to the seemingly hopeful Ukraine war news today? You know, Greg, that is a good question uh, because it gives more insight into what investors were thinking. Uh, so as mentioned, we have euro dollar now sort of at what we've been calling the 50-50 mark. Uh, but we've also seen impressive strength in peripheral European currencies. The Swedish krona is up 2% today alone, the Polish zloty up 1.6%, and the Hungarian forint is up by a very large 3%. Um, some of that is a move based on low liquidity, but we've been arguing that low participation was holding back downside in euro dollar, 
But it, despite that, it does look as if the balance of opinion in the FX market uh, was that there would be an escalation of war pressures. So a lot of these peripheral currency shorts versus the dollar uh, have been unwound or partially unwound or run into stops, uh, as a trader might say. So, Stephen, do you trust today's seemingly hopeful news? You know, Greg, it's tough for me to think that this is the end of the conflict, as as horrible as it is, uh, because I haven't yet seen evidence of either side moving significantly to deal with the red lines hanging over the talks. I think they mainly pertain to uh, ultimately control of parts of eastern Ukraine uh, and and southeastern Ukraine. But really, it's it's too difficult of a call to make. My conviction is quite low. Russia has clearly failed to achieve its key objectives in Western Ukraine. Uh, And I think the financial markets are aware of that. And and so some investors are looking this as a major turning point uh, in Ukraine's favor. Uh, But it still seems to me as if a full Russian withdrawal is a low probability scenario. But other factors could intervene and change that, too. Just don't know. Uh, it's a very difficult call to make, and I wish I didn't have to uh, uh, make it. Um, but le- let me rehash the levels for euro dollar we provided with our scenarios. I think if the talks break down, euro dollar would be back at 109 pretty quickly. Um, if a ceasefire agreement is reached, I would be concerned about its durability. Uh, normally quite skeptical as a person, but in that scenario, Eurodollar would rally quickly to 112. Uh, we might even get an extension to 113. Uh, but after the ceasefire, I think the main issue, of course, other than uh, the ceasefire breaking down, uh, is the effect of the sanctions and the increased downside growth risks for Europe's economy, which have built up over the course of March. I don't think those downside growth risks are going to dissipate, even if the war ends tomorrow. I mean, they're not going to go away. They're still going to be a factor that that weighs on growth this year. But in order for, I think, the rally in euro dollar to extend back to 114, uh, which is where the pair was basically trading prior to the war, I think a lot of the sanctions uh, need to be removed or the powers that impose the sanctions need to give convincing signals that that's the path they're headed towards. I'm skeptical personally that that's going to happen, uh, but maybe it would be a good time for me to toss it over to you, Greg. Shouldn't we be concerned about the long-term energy supply and security issues for Europe uh, that are here, uh, as well as the cost of transitioning and diversifying sources of energy? Uh, Then, of course, there is the hit to net trade as well, which is is a big factor for Europe. So, uh, Stephen, it sounds like uh, from what you're saying, that if we get an extension of the pop higher in euro dollar, it would be a good sell juncture. I tend to agree with that. Uh, and I, I agree with it on the oil front too. I would say that if we get a, a piece dip in the price of oil to $90 a barrel or something like that, uh, I don't think it would stay there for very long. Inventories are very tight. Demand has held up reasonably well while we've been above $100 a barrel. And I think OPEC plus would like to keep the price of oil uh, around 100. So the energy price hit to Europe's trade balance would remain. So um, if I could, I'll go back to where we started, and that was with Euro Yen. It's at the wrong price at 136 right now, although it could still spike up to 138. 
And so we're left to stand aside when we make sure that the spike uh, won't extend further. But the right price for euro yen is still somewhere in the high 120s. I think you're right, Greg. You know, even with more fiscal support for EU countries from EU backed issuance, which I think is going to happen sooner or later, a lot of the euro's core fundamentals will weigh on the currency as they look now in the current global environment, which Let's face it, was difficult even before the war started. Why don't we wrap up episode 38 here? Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 